Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the third and, well, as of now, final installment in our Bill and Ted movie review series. Today we are reviewing Bill and Ted Face the Music. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. Alan, this movie came out not that long ago. Yeah. And we were kind of supposed to review it. <laughs> yeah, we were um, until COVID hit and just screwed everything up. Um, and we didn't know when we were going to review it. Yeah, well, at that point, we thought we had our silly, naive hope <laughs> that uh, theaters were going to open back up in time. Right. And then it got pushed back. And then the schedule is like a ship. You cannot turn it that quickly. Mm -hmm. Also, we wouldn't have been a problem if we didn't have a major event to work around, which was my wedding. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, So, yeah, there are a number of things going into um, this review and also a little bit of Tenet as well um, Mm -hmm. that were just, you know, just fun workarounds to find out when we would actually be able to review them. Yeah, and ironically enough, we got two kind of time travel movies pushed back to 2021, and so we're reviewing them now, listeners. We originally were these reviews were supposed to come out last year, mm-hmm. that just didn't happen. You got Rocky instead, and Alan took over the podcast while I was away for a little over a month and yep. did a lot of more individual reviews and whatnot. But yeah, so. Just like Keanu, Alex, Chris, and Ed, it took them a long time to get this done, but it didn't take us as long to get our review out. That's true. It could have been worse, but it wasn't. We only delayed it by a few months. Yeah, whereas uh, audiences had to wait 19 years for Bill and Ted 3. Honestly, I don't think anybody was expecting this. I think maybe only the most diehard of fans were probably hankering for a sequel mm-hmm. because we talked about the other movies didn't make very much money at the box office. Right. I think 40 million was the most that any of the other movies had made. Um and that was the first one and the second one did almost that, 38 million. So <laughs> they both did eh, okay in the box office, but Obviously, Bill and Ted, that original one, is by far more of a cult classic than the others here, at least so far. And before we get too far into the review, we do have timestamps in the description below. So if you're ready to just jump into our thoughts, jump straight to our scores if you want to, you have full control of the phone booth. And that phone booth is in the description. (laughs) That will give you the numbers to jump around to wherever you want to in the podcast. Also, while you're down there, we do have a curated list of films that we've reviewed that we think would go nicely with this film. Uh, We also have links um, to all of our podcast platforms. So no matter where you're at, if you want to listen somewhere else, you want to send a direct link to somebody that listens somewhere else, you can easily do that. 
We also have our Patreon page, which will give you access to bonus content. It's a great way to financially support us. And no matter where you're at, make sure to leave us five stars and a written review. That little written review, you don't have to say a lot, a little bit does help in the rankings. The five stars helps, but writing it out does help with the algorithm give us that extra boost to recommend to other people looking for a fun movie review podcast. So we do put a lot in the description below. Also, one other thing to bring up down there is the schedule. You can look at our full 2021 tentative schedule. Of course, everything's subject to change. Of course. Just stupid COVID <laughs> ruining everything. Yep. Luckily, this time we actually had a backup plan. We do have a backup yeah. plan. So no matter what, um, things are already getting postponed. Um, yep. James Bond is being postponed. The new Morbius Spider-Man spinoff, whatever thing is already getting pushed back. <laughs> yep. But we prepared ahead of time, just like Bill and Ted. We looked into the future so we did not have to run into trouble exactly. this time around. So, um, but as far as the schedule goes, we do post, um, what we're doing about a month ahead, so you can see what is coming out for the next three or four weeks um, down there as well, just to make that more convenient for you. But link to the full schedule is down there as well. Well, Alan, we already talked about a uh, box office for the last two. Yeah. Is it even fair to talk about box office for this movie? Well, I'll bring it up, but uh, probably not. Um, so it came in with an opening weekend of $1.1 million. Wow. Um, yeah. Opening in just a little over a thousand theaters. And that was at its peak when it came out. So didn't do so hot as opening weekend. Although then again, neither did anything else that was released in theaters. Um, domestically, it ended up getting about three point, almost 3.5 million um international 2.8 million for a worldwide total of uh, in its entire theatrical run which was only for a few weeks 6.2 million dollars so (laughs) yeah i can't say that um it did very well in the box office but that's not exactly uh it's not exactly reflective of its quality because obviously there is a global pandemic happening and <laughs> theaters are pretty much all shut down it with the exception of bigger chains and those who were willing to risk it. So, yeah. You know, I think it's kind of sadly ironic that MGM, which probably isn't doing great because they're not able to release the new James Bond movie. Uh-huh. And they, I don't know why, but they bought or revived Orion Pictures. I was shocked to see that. Yeah. Because they went bankrupt. I'm like, what? Yep. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad because we talked about how the last movies didn't do great. And Orion went bankrupt because they just didn't have the money. And then mm-hmm. this movie grosses a whopping $6 million on, what, a $25 million budget? Yep, $25 million budget. So 20 years later, when inflation has skyrocketed, mm-hmm. they get an extra $5 million to mess around with? Wow. Yeah, and I mean, that's not a whole lot, all things considered. That's um, small for but, a 2020 movie. Yeah, absolutely. But it did not make back its money at all in the box office. Now, <laughs> that's not counting any of the on-demand or streaming services that it was a part of. Right. But those numbers are also a lot harder to calculate. They don't really post those. And it, who knows if they actually even can calculate how much money it would have made if it were releasing in, in like an equivalent box office. So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of hard to say how successful this film really was. And I'm starting to wonder if that's going to become somewhat of the norm now. 
probably too early to tell, but that's still the case, right? It's hard to tell when a movie releases only on on-demand streaming platforms and not really in the theaters. It's hard to tell what its success is from there. And these movies have never been the pick of the litter when it comes to opening weekend anyway. The first right. one was number three, second was two. This one is back to the number three spot. Right. Um, which is kind of surprising considering there's not much to choose from at the theaters. Right. I guess Keanu was not enough of a draw unless he has John Wick attached to his name right now. Right. So when it did come out, The New Mutants was the first one above it. And then Unhinged was right below that. Um, and I think it was probably the week after that Tenet came out. Yep. Tenet came out the next week, which, which of course smashed everything and pushed it down to technically number four, I think, on this list in terms of getting back its money. But if you look at the numbers, it, it doesn't tell you what number it is because it only made $733,000 that week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is where, you know, it's it's not really worth looking at its placement in the box office or how much money it really made because again that's not exactly reflective of how audiences thought about it because there's a global pandemic happening yeah and the other thing you have to understand is this movie opened in 1007 theaters exactly and it doesn't make any sense in the world why unhinged would beat it out i've seen unhinged with russell crowe it's pretty fun but it's not good by any stretch of the imagination it opened in 2300 theaters new mutants is the long awaited more of a curiosity than anything Mm -hmm. x-men movie and it's the last one fox will ever put out 2400 theaters so it's really no surprise that people were more uh intrigued for maybe a new x-men movie maybe that would give them some joy uh I've seen it. It did not. <laughs> yeah. That's for another time. <laughs> that is exactly what I've heard about it. So, <laughs> Well, it has had some time to breathe, at least scores-wise. So I'm yeah. curious to know, what about these scores? So, yeah, this would be more reflective as to what audiences think. Um, now, sometimes we have noticed that how much money it makes in the box office, despite there being a global pandemic also can turn out to be really weird in terms of its uh how much in terms of its scores but this one starts off with an imdb score of a 6.1 which is the lowest of the series mm-hmm. um but surprisingly the highest meta score of the series at a 65 which does put it in the green technically so that's yeah. that puts it um 15 points above the original exactly that's significant for meta score exactly um so rotten tomatoes again at a pretty high 82 percent, which is also the highest of the series and a 70 percent audience score um a very strange again coming from at least judging by the uh, or at least comparing it to the imdb score uh, which is rather low this these other two scores look to be somewhat high and especially in rotten tomatoes case very high yeah it's certified fresh critics mm-hmm. really enjoyed it and audiences seem to enjoy it too for the most part um it looks like letterbox is the exact same as last time yeah 33.3 uh, on letterbox so yeah, Letterbox hasn't really changed much, but Rotten Tomatoes and Metascore do kind of paint a different picture. Um, so it's kind of hard to tell what exactly audiences think about it. They, from looking at the IMDb score and the um, Rotten Tomatoes audience score, it looks to be like they think it's okay. Um, maybe a little bit better than okay, depending on who you ask. 
Uh, but critics seem to enjoy it. Um, I mean, at least those critics are on tomatoes. Metascore thinks it's pretty good, but all right. So it's kind of hard to gauge where this film is at. Yeah, I'm, I really am surprised with the 6.1 because that's getting dangerously close to a 6 or even a 5.9. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking over time that might go up a little bit um, because that is kind of weird considering yeah. all these other scores are so positive. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Um, we also have a different director mm-hmm. this time. Third director. <laughs> the only other thing that I could realize that this director did that I know of is um, Galaxy Quest, which okay. kind of is in the wheelhouse of this movie where it's kind of this um, weird science fiction comedy. I've only seen it once a long time ago. Have you seen it? No, I've always heard about it, but I haven't seen it. No. I would be curious to know your thoughts on it if you ever saw it. Okay. Um, also looks like the entire crew is different as well. Oh, no. Um, Marcus Sham is a pretty good composer. I've liked some of his stuff. Um, Shelley Johnson, we've actually reviewed his work before. Jurassic Park 3. Oh, okay. Um, he's kind of all over the place with me, whether I like it or not. I didn't really think Captain America looked very good the first one. But then again, I think the Wolfman um, looks really good. Uh, he also did Hidalgo okay. and um, even more recently, um, Greyhound, which is on Apple Plus. Oh, yeah. yeah that's did, with uh, Tom Hanks. Did you it? see that one? I haven't seen it, no. Okay. I I couldn't remember. I, I know your cousin saw it. I saw his letterbox score for ah, it. Ah, okay. But um, yeah, but thankfully we do have the same writers at the very least. Yeah, they've been on the writing team for this entire trilogy at this point now, which is, it is kind of nice to have because typically we'll have different writers hopping back and forth, um, hopping on a project and stuff. So you get a bunch of different, you know, views and whatnot on a, on a film franchise. This has stayed exactly the same, same writers throughout the entire trilogy so far, which has spanned over 25 years, so. Which is a little similar to Back to the Future, where that was Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale's mm-hmm. baby. They weren't going to let anybody else really mess with the writing there. Um, so, yeah, but those movies were filmed so close together, whereas this right. was these are pretty far apart. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw a trailer for this movie. No, I think I knew it was coming out. And it was one of those trailers that show up on YouTube that you get uh, to skip after five seconds. Mm. I think it's about as much as I saw of this. So, yeah, no, I never saw a trailer either. I did see um, Keanu and Alex's announcement video. Okay. That um, they were announcing a third one. That didn't really mean anything to me except it piqued my curiosity. And that brought up the idea of let's go back and review these movies. um, Got time for the third one. But seeing the trailer now... I will say trailer one has me skeptical. It looks like a modern reboot, which is not good. Yeah. Um, I will say trailer two gives me a clear indication um, what a lot of the plot is. So if I wasn't a fan, uh, which at the time I wasn't, I would not go see this in theaters and I definitely wouldn't shell out the money for video on demand. But if I was a fan, then I would go see it theatrically if that was a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, shelling out that much money for it just for a rental, I think is really dumb. Um, but you know, I would go into it with low expectations so as not to be let down. 
Um, I will say, though, on the other hand, I do trust the writers and Keanu and Alex. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they have a um, trustworthiness to them. So I don't think the trailer looks very good. Uh, it just ultimately looks pretty generic. Yeah, I know I'm with you 100%. This trailer would not really get me in the theaters because it just looks like, as you said, a just a modern reboot, which we've seen time and time again. Um so, yeah, there really isn't much. I think the last time I said with uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, I said kind of the same thing where, it, you know, it just looks cliche, like it could go down so easily go down the route of being just the cliche sequel. Um, so, yeah, I can't say that it would get me in the theaters if I was able to get in the theaters to watch this, of course. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Bill and Ted Face the Music, and go ahead and click pause right now, if you don't want to spoil it for you, that is. And then come back and click play after you've seen the movie, and we'll be ready to talk about it. Don't envy you, Alan, with <laughs> this plot. Yeah, this was a this was a plot summary that was a little bit difficult to write because I didn't know what was important to talk about and what wasn't important to talk about. So hopefully this hopefully this plot summary makes sense. <laughs> That's all I can say. All right. It's been 25 years since we last saw Bill and Ted. Since then, the pair are growing old. Their marriages and careers are falling apart. Ted is starting to consider even selling his Les Paul when Kelly, daughter of Rufus, shows up to bring them to the future so they can write a song. A song that will unite the universe and fix time itself, as they are told by the great leader. Realizing that they won't have enough time to make it, the Bill and Ted then hop into a time machine and head into the future to learn it from themselves. However, their future selves in the year 2022 are expecting them and they try to escape. So they head further into the future to the year 2025, where they are living in a mansion. Future Bill and Ted hand present Bill and Ted the supposed song before it's revealed that they are trying to sabotage their past selves. The cops then show up along with a killer robot from the distant future sent by the great leader. Present Bill and Ted manage to escape and head to into the year 2060. Here they find their older selves in a nursing home where they finally receive the song on a flash drive. The killer robot shows up as they are getting ready to leave and kills them, sending them to hell. Come to find out, both of their daughters, along with historical musical figures, are also there. While our main leads were headed out into the future, their daughters headed into the past to collect historical figures like Louis Armstrong, Jimi Hendrix, Wolfgang Mozart, Lin Jun, Grom, and a random caveman as their drummer. Also, Kid Cootie flows through time just kind of randomly, and he just kind of talks gibberish. I, that's all I'm really going to say about him. Well, down in hell, Bill and Ted visit Death, who who after the events of their bogus journey, left Wild Stallions for a solo career before returning to hell. They make up and death saves everybody just in time with the song Interstate 210 on mile marker MP46. Come to find out it wasn't Bill and Ted themselves that were supposed to make the song to unite the world, rather their daughters. They set up the stage and begin to play as Bill and Ted head into the past with their wives and the future to deliver instruments to everybody who ever existed and to play along at the exact same time which fixes the universe and time itself. Everyone ends up back in their correct times and the credits roll to videos of people playing instruments. The end. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a lot to this movie. Yeah. There's a ton to this movie. That's why I said it was kind of uh, difficult to, to know what I should and should not keep into this plot summary because uh, honestly, I, I could either sum it up in just like a couple sentences or I could try to explain it all and next thing I know I've written a novel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like maybe three or four mini plots mm -hmm. that kind of run parallel because you think there's, of course, Bill and Ted's main plot. Then there's their children subplot, which is pretty much happening simultaneously, right. which is no less important, mind you. There's also their wife's plot. 
and then there's the robots plot and yeah I th- that might be it i don't know um there's a lot going on yeah would you would but, you call this needlessly complicated um in some ways in some ways yes um but in some ways not as much as like tenant that's okay that's a fair <laughs> comparison <laughs> not as much as tenant but in some ways i will say there's kind of a lot going on which mm-hmm. i appreciate there's a lot they want to tell but there is a lack of focus in some ways. I don't want to go like negative, like right off the bat, but there is kind of a lot. Um, The one thing that I did want to say right off the bat, which isn't very positive, but I kind of have to get it out of the way. I'm not crazy about the opening voiceover with the daughters. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's good and possibly maybe catching up audiences that aren't familiar or don't remember the last two. Their voices aren't enthusiastic. Just stop with the voiceover. Harrison Ford ruined it in Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, I don't like the opening um, kind of slideshow with the voiceover as well. It's just not getting me into the movies. Not very enthusiastic. I will say I love the opening wedding. I wish they mm-hmm. just would have cut that because it wraps around with the voiceover in the end. The opening, the ending voiceover is really short and it's really just needless. So uh, did you have any feelings about it one way or the other? No, I'm kind of with you and we can go into more detail about this later because it sounds like we do have something to say about the two daughters at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I'm with you. They give uh, the voiceover and I don't know how much, I don't really know how, how I feel about it. Um, I kind of just wish the film would just speak for itself, but I'm with you. I'm not a very big fan of it either. But like you said, we do kind of drop into a, a rather uh, hilarious situation of the two of them trying to play at uh, a wedding of their, uh, it's Ted's brother. Yep. And he's marrying Missy, which is, again, just kind of the running joke that Mary, Missy's always marrying somebody else in a, with every movie. Yeah, I love that how they're just so happy even though both of their dads are now divorced from Missy, their brother's marrying Missy. Mm-hmm. I just love this like weird logic of making him, now my dad is his own son, which yeah. makes me my own uncle, which makes um, uh, Ted's brother his own stepdad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hilarious. I got to say the writing off the bat, the wedding is really funny. And... I automatically we are faced with their kind of failure mm-hmm. that what we thought united the world kind of was this one hit wonder yeah where it really thought it happened and I think that is a nice retcon it is a retcon nonetheless because you do see how they go play Mars according to the headlines in the last one right and they are just this worldwide phenomenon whereas this time around it's like yeah, they were kind of this one-hit wonder, and then they just all fell flat, and they come up with this really bizarre throat-warbling song, and people are trying to dance to it. It's a funny way to open the movie. No, yeah, and it it, it is, because it, you know, it also kind of shows that it's it, they're, not only is their music kind of really gone downhill, um, uh-huh. where they literally can't do much except for gigs that of people that they you know that they know uh, but at the same time too it does kind of show more of the realism that kind of becomes somewhat of a theme in this movie at least in this first act or so is that you know it, this is not the same kind of like almost fantasy like movie that we saw many years ago with those first two right this is very much one that at least for its opening does kind of set up its stakes to be kind of i would say for the first time something that 
feels very grounded, which is very interesting for a franchise which has pretty much not done that. Um, where with the second film, they were going there. There are robots that are going to kill them that come from the future. Um, that's like the main plot for that. Um, and then the first one, of course, is they need to pass their history history class. So having their families put at risk and their wives put at risk, um, that kind of opens the door for stakes that I would say of the series so far are the most realistic and I and probably my favorite so far. At least just the opening, getting you know and setting up. This is what's you know this is what is at stake. I completely agree. Yeah, kind of having the responsibility of uniting the world felt impersonal and at the same time never very tangible. Mm-hmm. So it was very hard to depict that on screen as something that was very serious for these characters to tackle. And it really was never meant to be that way. But I do like there is that blend of that is still their ultimate big achievement that they need to grasp. But I do appreciate that these characters are now responsible for people other than themselves. Yeah. Where they've always gotten themselves into crazy situations but even though it seems horrible they're going to get out of it but now they have their daughters to think of and their wives to think of so um putting them into um a couple's therapy into those counseling sessions was a great way to kind of address that yeah there's kind of um some you know things that we need to address in this marriage but of course bill and ted still approach it in a quite comedic way um but i do appreciate that they are at least going to have these characters grow in that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it does kind of open up to like, you know, now they really do need to learn to mature in some way, which they most definitely have not over the years as we've seen. Um, and it, you do get to see that, you know, and we get to the end of the film as well, you get to see that, you know, the characters of Bill and Ted, they're not the stars that, you know, are going to align the star. They're not going to, you know, save the world in the universe and time itself it's actually their kin it's actually their daughters and they're the ones that are helping their daughters achieve that goal right that is an interesting way to end the film right you know for a series that's been um you know solely focused on just these two characters and how weird they can be it's kind of cool and kind of nice to see them kind of branch out with that and go down a path that it's not about them anymore necessarily. It's not all about them. It's about the, about their families and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's showing that maturity that, you know, we've kind of, in, in some cases, sorely lacked in the past few films. Um, kind of seeing that more realistic storytelling here. I, I do enjoy that. Yeah, and you'll notice there's kind of a nice wraparound to when they proposed to the princesses, how they simultaneously did that in almost the same words. Yep. And now... 25 years later, they still haven't learned to express love to their wives in separate thoughts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in separate ways. Uh, I really do like that callback. But I do like that these characters are going to take it seriously, but in the only way that they know how to, Mm -hmm. in their very dumb Bill and Ted way of stealing it from themselves, which kind of calls back to that circular logic from the first movie of- In order to be a great band, we need a great video. In order to have a great video, we need a great musician. To attract a great musician, we need a great video. Right. And there's that kind of circular logic here of kind of wrapping around. Um, before we get too far away from it, have you seen Step Brothers? I've not, no. Okay. Well, I know I need to. 
I have not seen it though. <laughs> well, nevertheless, I've had to notice there was some inspiration here from Step Brothers. It at least had to be about two adult grown men that are still like kids. And uh, there's the wet, the adult, excuse me, Step Brothers ends in a wedding sequence, whereas this kind of begins in one. Mm. Um, I think Step Brothers is a great comedy, very hilarious. Not for the kids. Yeah. Um, don't watch it with your kids, please. Um, but nevertheless, I had to notice a little bit of um, reference there. Um, did you notice uh, it was really funny um, when Bill says, but Ted, you know, we can't sell your guitar. What about our fans? And he he names two fans and the third one they haven't heard from. It, so <laughs> he, he names two names. I thought that was hilarious. That is funny. I Yeah, that is funny. One of the other things, too, it's a very small, minute detail, but I did um, notice this. You know, whenever Ted pulls up the stopwatch or the mm -hmm. clock yes. um, and he's like, we have this much time left. Mm -hmm. That's the actual, well, not the actual, but it's close enough. That's about the time that there is left in the film. Yeah. Right. I noticed that and I was like, really? Like, this wouldn't be right, would it? This wouldn't be the actual time remaining in the film. Mm -hmm. It's not spot on, but it's basically pretty close to how much time is actually left in the film at that moment i thought that was a really interesting detail that they put in i thought that was really cool as well and i do like it when they do that in movies where it almost plays out in real time and it kind of allows the stakes to have more weight mm -hmm. because you know there can't be much cheating going on with um, playing with time per se. Now, as you said, it doesn't quite match up, but it is close enough. But nevertheless, a good way to ground the stakes and also be a little meta with yeah. the time left on the disc is also the time left to save the world. And at 7.17 p.m. is when it will happen. Um, Rufus found out about this prophecy or something recently that that's the nexus of the space-time continuum or something, right. which is hilarious. It's in San Dimas uh, and whatnot. But nevertheless, um, we also get the Rufus callback. He's kind of a hologram. Mm -hmm. That was kind of cool. That's true. Yeah, we he's in very little of this film. And in fact, he's just kind of, he's kind of been disappearing throughout all these films because he was hardly in the second one. Mm -hmm. And now he's really not in this one as much. You do get to see his daughter, um, but that's about it other than his... Uh, hologram well george carlin has passed away right so that's why he i do appreciate that we do get to see him um yeah i thought it was kind of a fun idea to bring his daughter into it and mm -hmm. um they're not using phone booths anymore i do kind of like how um there is kind of a visual upgrade or maybe i should say like aesthetic upgrade to some of the stuff like in the future and whatnot yeah. um from the past movie, it's about 30 years after what we saw the future, I think. Okay. I could be off by that a little bit, but um, the future's not too far from what we saw at the beginning of Bogus Journey. Um, but I do like how it's kind of this kind of comfortable smart, looks like a comfortable smart speaker. Yeah. You could sit inside. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of a funny change to it. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about this kind of little line, this almost little moniker inside Rufus's watch, which I don't think we've ever seen before, mm. unless it is in the first movie and I missed it, um, where it says sometimes things don't make sense until the end of the story. It seemed a little simplistic to me. Uh, a little on the nose, <laughs> I think is what I would say. Yeah, no, and they mentioned that a couple of times too. Like, get the, you know, sometimes things just don't make sense 
And to the end of the story, they mentioned that a couple of times. They do mention it a couple of times, which is a hint in mm-hmm. all of these movies that it's all going to work out right. in the end. Of course. Um, this movie does put something new into the time twist where historical figures or just people throughout time are being ripped out of theirs, like the space fabric is being pulled apart. Um, I see Jesus yeah. <laughs> being pulled out. <laughs> Um, that, that is something that I was, I didn't bring up in the last review that I kind of forgot. I was worried they were going to be kind of sacrilegious with the whole God sequence. And it sounds like they originally were going to go there, but did cut it down. And okay. then I was like, oh gosh, why are, why are they bringing Christianity back into this? Yeah. Of uh, it's the only religion they address. Um, but it is funny to see like Babe Ruth and, uh, who else? George Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of comical to see, Babe Ruth go on to George Washington's boat yep. and then Jesus walking across the water yep. in front of them. Yep. There are there are some pretty creative sequences where you do get to see all of these like uh all these historical figures working inside of, you know, another time. It is kind of funny, especially that was that's probably one of the best examples is uh, is that you just brought up. So I'm gonna go ahead and say probably my favorite part about this movie, just at least my favorite sequence anyway, is where they still have this freeloader mentality of let's just go into the future where we've already succeeded and we'll bring it back to the past, mm-hmm. which of course doesn't make any sense because if they haven't written it in the if they haven't written it now, it's not going to be there for the future. Right. But nevertheless, I do like how um, they go just to keep going a couple years into the future, and I just love the interaction they have with themselves because they they are increasingly bitter, spiraling out of control, yep. and it ultimately lands in this crazy prison sequence. I will say that is what's probably going to stick with me most is these pretty hilarious interactions with themselves. Yeah, because it, it's all what makes it funny for me is not that you know, their logic of oh well we can need to go need to go into the future learn from ourselves so we can make it. It's more of that them in the future is expecting their past selves to come to them and their different ways of trying to get out or weasel them or yes. send them or you know trick them into you know actually having the song or not having the song or whatever right that's probably my favorite part is how their future selves react to them showing up and what they try to do to get rid of them or whatever mm-hmm. because when we first meet them they're trying to run away and the second time they're in a they're in a mansion and then they're in a prison and eventually we end up at the nursing home so yeah. it, it's just i find it to be funniest um this moment where it's them trying to outsmart themselves um, when they're trying to learn the song. Oh, yeah. And I'm just cracking up um, when they come back to their wives therapy session and they're like, we're horrible in the future. Mm-hmm. The lying. We just <laughs> lie out of control and the drinking. And she's like, you don't even drink right now. And he's like, yep. I do a lot. In the future. <laughs> yep. I love um, when um, they start fighting with themselves at like the old folks home. Mm-hmm. Um, not when they're old, but when they're escaping the pool hall or bingo night or whatever it is. And the... Uh, Ted becomes super bitter and he's like super mean to himself. Yeah. And he's like, oh, husbands, yeah. you bums. And he's <laughs> like, well, you're the one that lost your wife, Ted. They're the same person. And then uh, Bill is like, stop fighting with yourself. <laughs> that yep. line cracked me up. I just kept repeating that. And then you see um, 
the future ones start fighting with each other and like Ted's on the ground and like Bill's kicking. Yep. <laughs> and yep. you can see their van in the background. So you can see they didn't make it very far in life. Ultimately, yeah. they came back to the van. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I'm saying that, you know, it's this seems to be it, when it's focused around Bill and Ted. That seems to be, at least for me, some of my favorite parts of this movie is because they're already weird characters. And so it's pretty easy to write off of how you know their personality that you bring up. So it makes these situations just all the more funnier when they're fighting with each other and they're saying, don't fight with yourself. You know, th- those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I, I, this first half, I think, is most definitely, in my opinion, probably the best of the rest of the film. Oh, yeah, um, I do agree. Um, just some more of the dialogue that I really like is um, you want some Bill and Ted punk <laughs> and they start prison stomping the robot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, when the robot just shows up and they're like, what is that? And Bill's like, I don't know, but it is most alarming. <laughs> um, how can a robot die? Um, also, when the when Kelly, the daughter, says, you named him Dennis after my ex. <laughs> just these like really kind of weird, wacky type stuff you just wouldn't think of. And that's something that I just really love about these writers is you just I really do wish they could have gone on to do a bit more stuff i know mm-hmm. um matheson did the goofy movie oh okay um solomon did charlie's angels the drew barrymore one uh, okay yeah and one other i just feel like their writing is best showcased here yeah um which is just i'm happy to see them have another opportunity to do that um and i also really like their song in the prison yard oh yeah <laughs> like death um pain this is how it all ends in the prison yard it's just they're all singing it yeah um, it's just hilarious and they're like it's a bit dark and they're like we made a song and you're gonna <laughs> take it back whether it works or not yeah <laughs> it's just really funny um one other thing that i will say is a smart idea is to have the next generation be the key to the last generation right where these daughters are kind of musical savants in a way that their dads never were. So I do like their idea of pulling like the greatest kind of musical artists throughout time to create the band, something Bill and Ted never did. Cause like I said, they just have this freeloader mindset. Right. So I do appreciate that idea. I, th- I think that's a good idea to go f- through. Yeah. And we'll talk about, uh, their journey that they go on here in a little bit. But yeah, I do agree that, you know, they, it is kind of nice and kind of cool to see again how, you know, they're, they're really the stars of the show when you really get down to it. When it comes to the end of the movie, they're the ones who are actually the most important. It's the dads that are the ones who, instead of chasing their passion, should really try to, you know, help their daughters do the things that they love to do, right? Right. So it is kind of cool to see how that does end up coming back around. It just takes a long time for Bill and Ted to figure it out. And, you know, even though they do make it into the future where they are able to get the song from themselves, Mm -hmm. um, nevertheless, they end up breaking it, showing that their daughters are what's most important. So there is kind of that um, character realization about halfway through the movie, which is pretty good. And then from there, they're kind of able to kind of weave at least most of these storylines back into one, which I will say is important because that first half of the movie, there's a lot going on simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And then when they're able to kind of all bring it together, I think it works pretty well in that way. Um, 
What did you? I thought their old age makeup in their retirement home was really good. Yeah, I didn't know if it was actually them or if it was different actors that were playing them. But yeah, them. it is really good. It's them. Um, also, those demons they talk to in hell are stupid demon and ugly demon. They are the oh, writers. That's funny. It is funny. They always put themselves in there mm-hmm. somehow. Um, also, I did kind of like the idea of where they make things worse with their wives. That's kind of an original concept from the first movie is what if Bill and Ted were responsible for all the terrible things in history without realizing it. Mm -hmm. So I do appreciate that. Um, That's kind of the broader overall thing is that this mixes in all of the ideas across the two films and even ideas outside of the films in a really... I would say satisfying way, mixing in the daughters with time travel, mixing themselves in with time travel, and then going to hell and getting death to come back in it. Um, I appreciate the first one's its own thing, the second one's its own thing. This seems like a nice blend of the two. Yeah, no, it does. It definitely feels like it's trying also really hard to try also while hearkening on those two films Mm -hmm. and doing a lot of the same things with those two films, trying to keep itself somewhat unique um, and just as we've seen the la- the first two films are very starkly different from one another in a lot of ways. This one also is too. It doesn't feel like it's trying to like, you know, it's trying to just relive everything that happened in those two films while it is, you know, taking certain elements and saying, okay, well we can work with this and do this again. Right. It's not going to just uplift everything that was there and make it just a, a you know, a, an encore of those two films. It's very much its own thing, which I, I do applaud it. You know, they could very could have easily have just gone back into the past and then just done it all again, right? Just for this new film, just to ride that nostalgia train um, and do nothing else, but they don't do that. Yeah. And you know, we are told early on in the film that they do succeed when they do find themselves in the future in the old folks' home. Mm-hmm. And there, it is comical, but I do appreciate that it has this kind of note of finality yeah. to it where they are kind of able to reconcile with the life that they have lived. And you also learn that their wives have um, kind of come back around to be with them again. And this is something, I will say this is kind of one of those movies where I needed to watch it a second time to pick up on certain things or understand certain things. But the wives with the um, telephone booth, they steal it from them in the future. Right. You see them steal it and that's why they're like, where did the time machine go? Right, yeah, I caught that the first time around. Um, And that's when then they could then take their wives in the past. Yeah. And disappear. Yeah. I got to know, what do you think of this time traveling robot? I was surprised. I thought he was going to be just like the nameless villain that they make to represent, you know, the great leader and how she wants to kill Bill and Ted. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then somewhat kind of goes a little bit rogue there towards the end. It ended up being, honestly, I thought to be kind of funny. So I did end up enjoying him um, because when he finds, when the robot finds out that, oh, they have the song. He's like, oh, okay. And he completely <laughs> changes characters. So yeah, I know. I thought he was, I thought he ended up being kind of funny um, personally. Yeah. I mean, I like how he has this like menacing robot voice. And then all of a sudden when his conscience comes into play, then he realizes, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And then he like commits suicide. So he goes uh-huh. to hell, but that's where he is able to like discover himself and in hell of all places is where he's able to like kind of find forgiveness and redemption. Yep. And he realizes that his name is like Caleb. (laughs) (laughs) Just really weird stuff. So it is kind of a nice blend once again between um, death 
and then the evil robots right. that are sent back from Bill and Ted. So appreciate that it's not just going to be a straight repeat of Bogus Journey with the evil robots, but they do something different with it. And they, I will, I will say I do like that. It's about halfway through your expectations are kind of subverted on what these char- where these characters are going. And right. I was so happy to see um, Death is back. Yeah. The Grim Reaper is back. Um, same. The same actor. They got the same actor to do it. I was so happy about that. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I'm glad that they, once they got into hell, I was like, all right, their death better be in here because <laughs> I really liked him in the last one. So I'm glad that they did bring him back. And pretty much once they find him, he's in there till the end like that. And I, I'm glad that he wasn't there for like a scene or two. No, he's once they find him, once he joins their team, he's there until the end. Yeah. And he's um relegated because he's been demoted since he brought Bill and Ted back to the land of the living. Mm-hmm. He learned he got in trouble and he's just playing games with himself and he's playing a hopscotch yep. cheating against himself yep playing 70 like 70 something out of 85 <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> even though he's cheating um you just kind of realize he's just kind of gone crazy and you learn his musical career just spiraled out of control the world wasn't ready for an all bass album oh, yeah yep. <laughs> it's really funny and i do like how the daughters are kind of that reconciliation bridge um, between death and it takes all takes place at his house mm-hmm. in hell which is actually pretty nice it's just kind of weird i do like that scene absolutely um and you know i do appreciate that the stakes are more epic in this film you feel there's a more immediate annihilation that could happen um the stakes in the first two are never really purposefully that heavy mm-hmm. uh, because they're meant to be lighthearted. but it is interesting that um they kind of go for those big stakes at the end. It's a little cliche with the whole almost gets close to laser in the sky type stuff. Oh, yeah. Of the world's coming to an end. We have to save it right there. But um, I guess you and I will have something to talk about here in a second because uh, I feel almost the exact opposite on that ending. Can't say what? I'm very, yeah, can't say I'm a very big fan of how this movie ends. Uh, but we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that point. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to talk about that because I'm not crazy about it, but nevertheless, I at least I at least like that it's better stakes than the fighting Denomalous and the robots at the end. All right, I can give you that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I can give you that. Here we go. I will say one of my favorite characters, though. Um, okay. kind of, I guess kind of my favorite favorite characters. I still don't really know why he's in this movie, but Kid Cutie, um, he just <laughs> kind of shows up randomly yeah. and just does random things. He almost is like he, he's almost gone rogue, essentially a, a rogue character in this film. Um, he just kind of does whatever he wants. He shows up whenever he wants, and then just kind of says whatever he wants. Um, and so in some ways it does kind of make his character kind of funny because he's just, he just breaks all the rules, right? He's just, he's just randomly shows up in places. Um, so I did kind of find him kind of funny whenever he did show up, um, and just kind of was there probably for no reason, for no good reason, um, other than just to have him or a representation of him there. So, well, he was also really smart yeah, and he was able to kind of, they're like, Hey, we, we need your help on this like quantum question right and he knows it somehow right uh so yeah it is funny um 
It was weird when he yelled out station. Yeah. Weird, but clearly just something fun for the fans. Um, if you haven't seen the other movies, you're going to have no idea <laughs> right. what that meant. You know, I will say there is also something I really like. Is it, did you watch the end of, till the end of the credits? Not till the very end. Well, did you see them playing the rock music as old men? Oh, did I? Oh, man, you missed it. I must have missed it. Okay, so at the end of the credits, um, yeah, it is where they're old people and they look at each other and they said, there's one thing we have left to do. And they're just standing there in their apartment jamming out on the guitar just like crazy. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, we still got it. And I actually really like that scene a lot okay. because it does show like these characters have kind of come to an end and what started as these happy-go-lucky teenagers, there is this kind of beautiful poignancy to like, that's kind of the last thing they can kind of hold on to in life that is what kind of brought them together in the first place. And right. their dream came true of being incredible rockers and making it the last scene of the movie as old men did kind of give it that finality and poignancy to it. So you got to go watch that scene. Alan. Yeah. I'll have to go back and watch that. Yeah. I'm, I completely missed that. I will say there is some disappointing aspects to this movie. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is the visual design is slick. I'm just not huge on the CGI. Uh, most of the charm for me, at least on the visual side of the other two films is those really kind of interesting, real life visual aesthetics that are just so kind of compelling it, you just don't really get it here no i i absolutely agree with you the i'm not a big fan of the cgi either it, i do kind of miss the sets that they made for the last one they may not have been super great but they were at least something right and they were at least visually interesting this doesn't look like you know it looks like for some of the scenes like especially when they go to hell um it's pretty much this them on a, on a green screen mm -hmm. in a set um somewhere so and you can really tell that right and i know it's kind of made to look a little bit fake on purpose just because it is just bill and ted um but i can't say i'm a very big fan of that i would much rather have had sets, but I can understand when you have a $25 million budget, that kind of a thing is not necessarily as in the question as maybe something cheaper and much easier and much faster, which would be CGI. I thought the worst of it was in the future when they're walking around. That looked pretty fake to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely. So we've been alluding to talking about the daughters. Mm -hmm. So I like their mission. But unfortunately, I just feel like they're kind of shallow characters and they're just not, uh, they themselves don't really learn much. They do help their dads, which is sweet, but it is a disappointment to see they don't really learn much um, of anything along the way. They're mostly meant to just be kind of like the smart version of their dads and they unwittingly help their dads. Uh, and they're the ones that are, they're the ones that ultimately help save the world. They're such an integral part because they think, it, well, Bill and Ted do it. Well, it's always actually been Preston Logan, which is kind of a retcon from the other ones, mm -hmm. but nevertheless, fun idea. I just think I would have liked to have gone deeper with them. Yeah, I, I do agree. I wish that they had more to do or more, at least, uh, exploration of their characters because, you know, living in the shadow of their dads, well, you know, what is that like, right? When your dads are Bill and Ted and they've done some 
crazy things where they are like the chosen ones for the future and whatever. Um, they have, we never really dive too deep into that, unfortunately. And I got to say, I'm not a very big fan of their journey either, though. Um, I felt like whenever we were with them, we were taking, since we were not with Bill and Ted, we were taking away from the film because we were with them and not with Bill and Ted. I didn't really find them to be very, um, I didn't really find them to be very engaging, just kind of in general. Um, especially one of them, uh, oh, what is her name? Uh, maybe the, it's the blonde or brunette, the brunette. Okay. The brunette. Her character name is Billy. Okay. Um, which is kind of fun because they named their daughters um, like crisscross. Like right. instead of like Ted Jr., it's uh, Billy mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, I'm actually mostly drawn to her um, when I'm when she's on the screen just because I think her mannerisms are more noticeable. Samara Weaving is not enough of a presence. She just doesn't have enough to do i think which is disappointing because i really like samara weaving as an actress i've always liked her in everything i've done i was surprised to see her in this but she really just has more of a smaller um part so um i don't think billy's very good either unfortunately i think billy is definitely the best out of the two of them um but not i mean i'm just not a i'm it feels like it's an emulation of uh, what Bill and Ted are, not like they're actually Bill and Ted. Because they aren't, right? That makes sense that they wouldn't be like them um, or they wouldn't be the exact same as them. But it just feels like it's since it's more of an emulation that really draws away from it because it feels like they're really trying to do it. Uh, but it's not that same thing, right? Instead of doing their own thing. I guess we can talk about the the, the ending because I, I did mention that I don't feel the same way as you do on it. Um, so here are my thoughts on the ending. And this kind of does flow into some of the same, the plot itself just in general. I feel like this is, for Bill and Ted, I feel like this is just too much, right? It's too much that, you know, they're wanting to, it's fine that they're going to want to save the world. That's already kind of been set up in the previous films just in general. Um, but it's it's too much that they have to go through all of time, give everybody an instrument. Um, and so they can all play at the exact same moment to save you know, space and time. It just feels like what they are doing, what Bill and Ted's in mission ends up being is way outside of the realm of Bill and Ted because Bill and Ted has always been very, you know, at their core, they're very simple adventures um, when it gets down to it. Not, not something that's like, okay, we have to save the world, all of the universe and all of time all at the same time, I guess. It, it just feels like that's way outside of the realm of Bill and Ted to me because I very much preferred that more simplistic style of the first two films. This one just feels a bit overly complex to me. Yeah, no, I can agree with that as well. Um, I don't even remember what we were disagreeing on. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you said, I remember you said that uh, you thought that the ending was a bit more epic. I liked that they got musicians throughout time to create the song okay i thought that was a unique idea um but as far as it goes where they have to go and go into like the multiverse everything's got to be a multiverse now and they have to go throughout all of time every single time and give them all instruments and they all correct me if i'm wrong but doesn't he ask her what the chords of the song are that they've invented yes actually, i actually have them written down right here at the end of my notes c major at 113 beats per minute and they're supposed to people are supposed to play that through all time right okay yeah i mean it doesn't really make much sense and it doesn't really feel like 
okay. Mm. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't feel very um, like a great accomplishment or anything like that or anything uh, very emotional, I guess you could say. I will say that's why I was actually very happy with the end of Bogus Journey. Yeah. When they do come back as accomplished wild stallions and the whole world watches, they do unite the whole world in this one song. We see it happen. Right. So in a way, this is a retcon because it was already achieved in the last one. Whereas this one, it's not just time and space, but also reality. There's multiple realities. Yeah, it does get kind of messy um, at the end there. I'll be honest, Alan, I fell asleep. Oh, did you? <laughs> I was. It, <laughs> I will say I was invested, but there became a certain point where they were really straining my investment with where they're going with this. I don't think it cohesives very well, especially at um, MP46 on the highway. Mm-hmm. Why do they even land there? Uh, it's just where <laughs> the script had them to go. I guess I don't know. I guess it. I don't. I don't think that was clever at all. I saw it coming a mile away, because there's always this um, something in the first act that characters don't understand, and then they see it in a completely different light. In the third one, this one wasn't meaningful or significant. It was just kind of weird how they play this traffic jam. And then they go throughout time and then yeah. they come back and play more of a song. I got to say, I'm just frustrated. Also, what is this song? Like, they don't even really call attention to it. We got to roll credits really soon. Yeah. They did the same thing in Bogus Journey mm -hmm. where they're playing guitar solos, but then Kiss has to swoop in and steal the show, which was a great song, by yeah. the way. But nevertheless... Give me this dang song that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can honestly say that the song that they do make, I don't think it's very good. Maybe if I listen to it outside of the film, maybe I'll think of something different. But when they do play it in, in the context of the film, it, it doesn't sound really anything that's I used to, nothing I would listen to. Um, and it's interesting, too, because at least in the last movie, they ended it with Kiss, right? This mm -hmm. one, they end with the Cold War Kids. Um, all right, Stupid. interesting choice. I mean, I like their stuff their old stuff um, <laughs> before they got popular. Um, but it's an interesting choice to end with a modern band. I guess it makes sense if we're considering the daughters, but either way. I think even after that, there's like a Weezer song okay. in the credits. And it's, I mean, I like Weezer's original stuff, but I haven't listened to them since. So yeah, I mean, we, you talked about um, liking the score or soundtrack of the second one. Clearly, this one wasn't as uh, high on your list. I barely noticed it. <laughs> Same here. Barely noticed it. Yeah. Um, I just like the prison song. That is pretty funny. The throat warbling song. Like, when they're not trying, it's funny. Yeah, I agree with you. That Those two that you pointed out are probably the most standout ones to me. Yeah. So, I really hate to say this, but um, I've, I actually have watched this movie twice. This whole final sequence is such a blur, and it is forgettable for me which unfortunately. is yeah which is definitely unfortunate because yeah. uh i mean as far as we're aware this is the last bill and ted for at least a while if not ever right and to go out like this i mean i feel like this even the second movie it didn't have that great of a climax but it at least <laughs> you know at least it had something this one i feel is just it's trying too hard i feel it's trying too hard to outdo what was bill and ted and something else and they kind of overshoot that, I feel. That's why I think it's just, it's too much. 
Yeah, and I don't want to, I don't personally, I'm not speaking for Alan, I don't want to come across like it's just really terrible and they completely botched it or anything because I don't think that's the case. I just think that, like we said, the first act is taking their time with a lot of stuff. I just wish they would have taken their time more to just kind of savor and bask in all of this. And also, don't split the attention. This is really frustrating me because... Um, Bill and Ted are trying to help the, they come back into the land of the living. They set up the musical stuff. The daughters start playing and they get it wrong, but then they figure it out. But then it's up to Bill and Ted to create ultimate, uh, infinite instruments. So they go through infinite time while the song's playing. We all saw it, see it sped up mm -hmm. and then they come back to play. It just, I needed it to be straightforward and focused, and um, it just splits off in multiple directions again. Yeah, it does. But and it, again, it just kind of feels like it's just too much for a movie that's based off of two very, very simple characters, unfortunately. But I will say that, in a way, I will appreciate that a movie that is going to deal with time travel, that is going to deal with, you know, metaphysical type stuff... I appreciate that they're at least trying to like go big or go home. So they are at least trying to do something that is kind of different. This is something I wanted Endgame to do mm. um, where I thought it was going to play a lot more with time travel in a more epic way with that end battle. And it really doesn't. Yeah. I really thought they were going to be able to span time travel across all the Avengers movies. So at least they're trying to do something here. I will say to kind of close out my thoughts, I did have some pretty bad flashbacks to the end credits of Rocky Balboa. Ooh. Um, Ooh. I don't know. What did you think of these? I'm going to say it dumb closing credits of people. Maybe you liked it. Nope. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. Corbin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're in the same boat here. Okay. Uh, it's dumb. It's, it's just cheesy and I don't understand it and it's unnecessary. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't really care for it. Um, so I could I would rather <laughs> leave it. Um, if you ask me, I at least the last movie had you know a creative ending because it was just a bunch of like newspaper clippings and and magazines as we see from after we leave Bill and Ted and Death, what happens to them afterwards. Yeah, don't really get anything like that here. It's just a bunch of videos of people playing instruments. So yeah, so are we in agreement of the two endings? We kind of prefer Bowie's journey then. Yeah, I yeah. Okay, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, Alan, what is your well? Okay, one last thing before I get to the conclusion, I do want to say I just mentioned this briefly. I personally had to watch this movie twice mm -hmm. to really know what I thought of it. Um, not to preview my final thoughts too much, but it is like you said about this ending here. It is just kind of there. Mm -hmm. it, I was kind of struggling to be like, okay, wow, well, gosh, what do I think of that? I really had to go back through the entire experience to see how it all came together more. But I did want to say that. I'll talk about that here more with my final thoughts. But for now, I'm curious, Alan, because this is the capstone to the trilogy. Mm -hmm. What is your rating and recommendation for Bill and Ted? face the music so bill and ted as i've mentioned that this movie when it all ends right it's that ending that you and i seem to have the biggest struggle with um th this movie ends way outside at least to me 
way outside of what Bill and Ted really is, right? It goes too far beyond what made Bill and Ted Bill and Ted and goes to something that it just feels strange when it, you put it in the context of Bill and Ted. And I think that's because I don't know if they necessarily build to that moment very well, right? Because we're told that, well, they're having marriage troubles and stuff like that that could, you know, potentially harm their marriage and also their careers as being musicians. You know, we have some of these things here, but we never really see them resolve in a good way. The wives just kind of just come back at some point. Um, and it, then all of a sudden it becomes about the kids, right? All of a sudden now it's their daughters that are the real ones who save the their whole universe and time and whatever. And I just feel like there isn't enough setup to have the ending the way that it is, right? But with all that being said, despite the ending, I still feel like this is a film that does kind of ride too much on the cliche, right? Unfortunately. And while I do enjoy following Bill and Ted um, as they go through time and um, see themselves and try to outdo themselves as when they come back to see them, that is fun, but it only lasts for so long. And in reality, I don't know if you could make a whole movie off of that. Uh, maybe you could um, with Bill and Ted, but I don't know. Instead, we have the daughters that also take some, also to share some of this limelight, um, which doesn't really work. So... At the end of the day, I think Bill and Ted Face Music is very, very, very okay at best, unfortunately. So I'm going to say it's a 5 out of 10, but I'm, I'm not going to say it's a recommend. Bill and Ted Face the Music may wrap up what may be one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Ooh. Hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying the end of this movie is what makes it that way, but nevertheless, Retaining the lighthearted nature present in the first, mixing in the doppelganger elements from the second, and ultimately blending the main thrusts of time travel, heaven and hell, consequences, legacy, and music make this end cap a highly satisfying conclusion. Winter and Reeves nearly perfectly step back into their roles. It is such a delight to see them reprise these beloved characters almost 20 years later. Honestly, the thing I love most about this movie is that it's not cynical or pretentious. While it can't quite recapture the joy that will only live forever in the 80s and 90s, it makes the attempt with such heart that we rarely see in movies today. Most films after the late aughts are either infused with cynicism or broil over with idiocy, which leave you either moody or with the loss of brain cells. It's so wonderful to see this return, especially in the worst year of my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I do hope we will see a return to more lighthearted films across genres. Maybe this really is the movie to herald in a more kinder, carefree cinematic world. All of that being said, while I do appreciate the life lessons, which more than uniting the world and music, is satisfying to see their character arcs complete. I do find this story to not be as memorable as the first two, especially the second one. The daughter's journey is sweet, but how they help their dads, but I'm not that invested in them, nor does this plot need to be as convoluted as it can get, because there is a lot, and I mean a lot, going on here. It can be hard to keep things straight or actually even realize what certain characters are trying to accomplish, like the wives traveling into bad and good pasts. That said, I don't believe this one will be as memorable or as watched for me. But the third installment didn't disappoint, and that's because it engaged with old ideas without ripping itself off, along with ensuring these characters achieved their appropriate arc. Bill and Ted Face the Music receives 6 stars out of 10 with a mild recommend. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I was always one below you this 
throughout this whole trilogy. Yes, they were. <laughs> Which is funny. <laughs> so I just gave out my first six, and you... I honestly, Alan, thought you were going to give out a six again, but you did give out a five. Mm. Yeah, no, I can't say it's in the same ballpark there. So ultimately, you're not going to recommend this one. You're basically saying just stick with the first two? Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. And you even gave those mild passes as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it looks like overall your average rating across the trilogy is a six out of ten. Yeah, that's about right. It's probably like a five point like seven five or something like that if you were to put decimals on it. But still, we can go there. All right, five yeah, I knew it. Yeah, five point seven. <laughs> so no, yeah, no. It's I would say I can very very slightly recommend this as a, as a whole series. Um, clearly, it's not one that I have been super enthused in. But there are some good elements here, clearly. Otherwise, I wouldn't have given any kind of recommend. So let me kind of justify myself by saying this is probably one of the best trilogies. Oftentimes, trilogies usually just don't work very well. Usually, they falter big time, usually within their third film, or they just can't deliver. And that's because ultimately, they're always trying to like one-up the one before it. This one just doesn't even try i don't think I, I mean maybe they try a little bit here at the end um trying to compete with the th um third act from the second film but nevertheless like godfather part three really just kind of fell apart excuse me i'll even say back to the future part three didn't really make it for me unfortunately um there's just been a number of dare i even go with terminator 3 rise of the machines oh yeah um usually usually franchises and trilogies don't cohese as well and that's why i liked how the first one is about fun time travel second one is kind of heaven and hell the third one is just a blend of both and it's across generations and um kind of these goofy characters that never grew up do have to grow up they have to face the music so for those reasons i really do like this trilogy as a whole for me it's seven out of ten it's a recommend um with the third one being kind of not very memorable and problematic where um well i guess since we're talking about it let's just go ahead and um rate them okay so i guess just for me the good thing is it's a trilogy really easy to rate uh it's gonna go bogus journey excellent adventure which are very very close by the way and then finally the last is going to be um face music yep Mine's exactly the same. Bogus Journey 1, Excellent Adventure 2, Face the Music 3. Sure enough. I loved Bogus Journey uh, quite a bit more than the first one. Uh, it's close. I did give them both sevens, um, but they're both so different that it was very easy to uh, kind of look at them in different lights for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing you're not picking this one up. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll skip on this one. The last two are like, maybe I'll pick them up. This one was like, no. I'm not even going to really worry about it. I will say for me, I'm very happy I own the box set. I'm happy to have these in my collection because I will just return to them. This will take you less than five hours to get through the trilogy. Yeah. No, they're all like exactly the same amount of time, an hour and a half. <laughs> you could start it at five in the evening, be done before 10 o'clock at mm -hmm. night. Yeah. yeah. So it's quick to go through and you can at least say they're fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Across the board. Absolutely. Um... So, you know, after looking at our scores, I did want to average out the rest of the trilogy now that we've gone through it. Averaged uh, 3.4 on Letterboxd. Okay, I guess. Yeah, that's all right, I guess. Six and a half on IMDb. Mm. Straight up average. Very average, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, 50, 58 on Metascore. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. 73% uh, critics rating. Yeah, that's one of those where it, two of them are really are 80s percents, and one of them's a 57. Uh, that really just pulls down that average. Oh, um, yeah. If it was higher, which it should be, <laughs> but if it was higher, then 73% would be much higher, but not too bad, I would say, for kind of average movies across the board. Mm-hmm. 67% for audiences. Um, so not as beloved as Back Back to the Future. Yeah, Back to the Future is very much very beloved. <laughs> you know, I will say I am kind of interesting at the very least to just look at our scores for Back to the Future and see where we came down on it. So it is kind of funny because for uh, Back to the Future Part 3, um, you gave it a 6 and I gave it a 7. But um, yeah, I also gave out, that was my first 7 for Back to the Future and the rest of these were 7s. So it looks like kind of the Part 3s uh, is kind of similar for us with mm-hmm. comparing it to Bill and Ted. Yeah, sounds like, it really looks like it. But um, it looks like we both gave um, eights to the first one and Back to the Future and seven eight. So I guess we will have to say that we like the Back to the Future series better than the Bill and Ted one. Mm-hmm. Well, Alan, what other TV or film recommendations do you have for our listeners? This is going to sound really weird, okay? but hear me out. I'm curious. The new Ghostbusters remake. What? I've said it. Oh, God. That's what I recommend. You're talking about the 2016 one. That's the one. Not Afterlife, which technically hasn't come out yet. Yeah, not that one. We haven't seen that one yet. Okay. I'm talking about the 2016 remake, yes. Okay. Okay, you got to justify that. <laughs> <laughs> so they're... Okay, so they're modern reboots serving around a somewhat newer generation. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay, um, yeah, go back and hear our thoughts on Ghostbusters. <laughs> from what I under, from what I recall, you thought it was pretty mediocre, though. The the old Ghostbusters, uh, the remake of Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters remake. You're kind of putting on a level playing field with this one. No, that's not. I, I shouldn't say that. Okay, they're they're very different playing fields. This one I feel is better than that Ghostbusters movie because I don't oh, think I okay. really likes that Ghostbusters movie. I'm su- I'm just saying that in terms of um some of the things that it that they each do which mm-hmm. is the same original film but for a new generation i see what uh, you mean then now. that's kind of where they stack up okay you kind of had me worried there for a minute <laughs> no <I was> like <laughs> what so i'm also going to do kind of a reboot slash sequel i'm actually going to recommend tron legacy mm. so the reason i'm going to do that is this movie gets it just like this one where it's like a parent-child relationship. It's pushing the story further while wrapping around to the older generation. And there's also doppelgangers in that movie as well. Um, so Tron Legacy came out, oh gosh, it was what, over 20 years later? Yeah. Um, it was a long time later. So that kind of got me thinking of like movies that um, have come out much later than the other ones. I do actually have a full list on Letterboxd of movies that um, took decades for the sequels to come out. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll attach that link below. It's just kind of interesting to look at. But yeah, this one is on the list. So I was thinking of sequels that took forever and that were kind of similar. So I love Tron Legacy. Definitely check that one out. 
Maybe I will recommend to you Return to Oz. Oh, interesting. Um, that's a sequel like Bogus Journey that reinvents the fantasy of the original. Um, that one took like 43 years <laughs> to make. Um, and you know what? There are I will what I will deem failures of sequels to movies that took a long time to make. Mary Poppins Returns. Ah, yeah. That's the movie where I watched it at the theater. I was like, that was pretty good. And then I thought about it, and I was like, that really wasn't as great as I thought it was. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't. I couldn't wait to shut it off. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> um, I know. I guess I'm in the minority on that one. I know people liked it. I couldn't wait to shut it off. I didn't like it at all. It so long. Anyways, um, this other one, Alan, I think we're both going to agree. Remaking or at least doing a sequel to a 90s film 20 years later, and it's absolute crap. Independence Day Resurgence. I haven't seen it, but everything that I've heard about it seems to indicate that you're correct. <laughs> don't waste your time. That's why I haven't seen it. <laughs> Just don't waste your time. That's why I'm not recommending um, either of those movies mm -hmm. to you listeners. But it is interesting because Bill and Ted's Face the Music was able to do something that we have seen other movies try and fail at. Or succeed, like mm -hmm. with Tron Legacy. Yeah. So where does the series go from here? I, I don't know if it's done. Honestly, I, I kind of want it to be done. I'm with you. Um, I I honestly could give or take this one, but I can. Hopefully, this is where it finishes. But I I, I would highly doubt that it would. Now that we have in the daughters of Bill and Ted, maybe they'll kick off somehow. Maybe they'll go somewhere. So during the inter years between two and three, Universal hosted their Universal Horror Nights. Which I went through their fun house. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> don't do not do it if you're squeamish like me. <laughs> um, but they did have a play called Bill and Ted's Excellent Halloween Adventure. Someone cried racist and now it's no more. Interesting. So it got shut down. I don't know. I guess it was super racist, mm -hmm. apparently, according to this person. Yeah. Um, okay. So Bill and Ted did not have success there. But in recent interviews, Keanu and Alex were asked... Is there going to be a fourth film? They All they said was, it's up to the fans. If the fans clamor for a fourth one, then they would be willing to return for a fourth movie. It would have to be in a totally different direction because I got to say, I'm kind of tired of the whole saving the world through music thing. Yeah. That's yeah. Be, that's actually been almost the plot. That is the plot of okay. all three movies. Well, they did it this time, so. They did it. Now what are they going to do? <laughs> well, and that's the trick because we talked about how they suppose they did it. In the second one, surprise, they didn't. And now they did it in the third one. So they got to move on. That is really tired at this point. Um, anyways, so Ed Solomon, who's one of the co-writers late last year, said this quote. It wasn't, um, well, the idea of a fourth movie anyway. So it wasn't when we were first writing this one. But as we saw Bridget and Samara, who are the daughters, inhabit these roles, I thought for sure if there was interest and people wanted to carry this forward, the Bill and Ted spirit, I would absolutely let those characters carry it forward. I think we finished with the Alex and Keanu Bill and Ted story. I think it's done. But if people were interested in a Billy and Thea continuation, I think it'd be cool. That would be interesting. 
well, to see that if they ever go down that road. They gotta have much deeper characters, because I am not attached to these characters at all like I am to Bill and Ted. They're uh-huh. just not as charming. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so it does remain to be seen. It is floating out there. And you know the same thing happened with this one. There was always the clingers on that wanted a third film. Mm-hmm. And even these um, even these people, the writers and Keanu and Alex would bounce it around. What if we did a third one? Right. Okay, I'm game if you're game. And it basically took them like 10 years to write the script or something. It took them forever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I really don't think, um, I guess never say never, it could happen. Um, I do trust these writers to deliver something very fun and enjoyable. I'm just not on board, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. And if they come out with something else, we'll be reviewing it, I guess. <laughs> do we? Yeah, we will definitely be there to review it if they do, but... I wouldn't bet on it, listeners. Mm -hmm. It's not for a while. So the question after the show is, if you could create the ultimate band from across time, who would you pick? Mm. I would pick Chuck Berry, Led Zeppelin, Simon and Garfunkel. I don't know. I just I just pulled those off the top of my head. (laughs) I I always like those. First bands I can think of, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh... You just uh, said that because I said that. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. Uh. <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, next week is my birthday pick. I'm excited. Do you have it picked out yet? No. <laughs> That's okay. This would not be the first time. <laughs> so We haven't had, it per- they haven't had the pick ready to go a week before it's supposed to record. I was supposed to come up with it today. At, well, actually, I was supposed to come up for like a long time. There, I was bouncing around a couple ideas, but I didn't want to make a firm commitment to it just yet. Fair. Um, so nevertheless, it's going to be a surprise. It'll be a surprise again to all of us. <laughs> just like Christmas morning, you will wake up on Monday and you'll see what movie we're reviewing. I'm excited. Hopefully I hear about it soon. <laughs> Hopefully you hear about it before next Monday. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Corbin, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. All right, well, listeners, we'll see you next week for Corbin's birthday pick, whatever that may be. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners.
The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. When Kelly, daughter of Rufus, shows up to bring them the future, shows up to bring. Mm. Wait, what? Ted is starting to consider to sell his thus Paul when Kelly, daughter of Rufus, shows up to bring them to the future so they can write a song. Nice sentence, Alan. Real good. Alan didn't proofread. No. <laughs> I just don't like um, don't like credit cards. What does that mean? You're the one who wrote that. I don't know. Huh. <laughs> A series that, of course, so far has been... Oh, Siri. <laughs> Stupid artificial intelligence. Ruining everything. <laughs> Ruining everything. <laughs> uh, you thought that the ending was a bit more epic. Um, okay. So what... Oh, we're in the flight path. <laughs> yeah. So at least they're trying to do something here. Maybe it would have been more cool if... Never mind. <laughs> Not even going to say that. <laughs> Not even going to say it. It's dumb. Anyways. Um,